Country Western star George Strait recorded a hit song a number of years ago that had these lyrics. I ain't here for a long time. I'm here for a good time. Mm. Would it surprise you to know that many who would never have a country western playlist or would watch the CMA awards show on TV, yet when they saunter into church on a Sunday morning, they're quietly singing those lyrics? We need to talk about this. The season of a pastoral transition in the life of a church is not easy. Among the enormous difficulties that arise, one of them is called the leadership vacuum. And like a vacuum in nature, there is always pressure to fill the vacuum. So when a church faces a leadership transition and the leadership vacuum that comes with it, some people can do some pretty crazy things. And as a result, a church can become very vulnerable to attack both from within and from without. This morning, we're going to sit in on a board meeting of the First Generation Church. They're going to wrestle with the announcement that a pastoral transition and leadership vacuum is right about to occur in their midst. And as they wrestle with that, they're going to wrestle with something else. They're going to wrestle with the choices that they're going to need to make for the future of their church. And their choice is going to determine whether or not they have a bucket or a pipe theology. Now, a bucket. Let's talk about a bucket for a moment. A bucket is designed to hold things. That's why we call it a container. Its purpose is to be the collection point of that which is being accumulated. And so something is wrong with a bucket if it, if it leaks or if it spills its contents or in some other way loses that which it's supposed to be holding on to. So protection and storage is the goal of a bucket. On the other hand, we have a pipe. A pipe is designed to transfer things. It's not a container, it's a conduit. Its purpose, like I said, is to pass on that which it receives. So something's wrong if the flow somehow gets restricted in, in here. Reception leading to effective delivery is the goal of a pipe. Now, our Belief system determines our behavior. Our theology determines how we live. So if you have a bucket or a pipe theology, you will be a bucket or a pipe person. Bucket people, because of their theology, are those who live to collect and hold on to things. Minimize leaks. Don't let there be any spills. And for heaven's sake, don't let anybody else get their ladle into your buckets. Accumulation 
and protection are priorities because you know what? That's what everybody else is doing in America, and that's the American way. Pipe people. Pipe people, on the other hand, are those who live to pass on to others what they has been given to them. So for pipe people, they want their lives to bless others by what they give away. They expect the flow to continue. So sharing, not storage, is the priority because that's the example Jesus has given us. And that's the kingdom way. Now, the practicality of our theology and how it is revealed in our lives really becomes clear when you experience pastoral transition. Open up your Bibles, if you would, this morning to Acts chapter 20. From verse 17 down to verse 35, we are going to watch how this works firsthand. Now, as you turn to Acts chapter 20, let me just give a little bit of background that will be of real help. The church in the city of Ephesus is about to experience a major change, and it's a change that nobody in the church wanted. Specifically, an enormous leadership transition is about to occur. The Apostle Paul, who had personally planted that church, who had personally led to Jesus Christ many of those that were in that church. So for years, they've leaned on the Apostle Paul for spiritual wisdom, for spiritual understanding, and he regularly returned to that city to invest in that church. But now a change is about to occur, and he announces he's no longer going to be personally available to them. That's why you can see in verse 17, Paul gathers the elders, he gathers the leadership team of this church, and spells out, what is it going to take for your church to move forward into the future without me? And he points out that there's a crucial decision for everybody to make. What exactly does he tell them? How was the early church to face the uncertainty of transition? Well, this passage reveals that Paul wants them to focus on two, on two things. First, he tells them to focus and remember how his own life was a conduit. Look at that way verse 18 starts. You yourselves know. In other words, Paul begins with what they have seen. Over the years, they've had the opportunity to watch his life carefully. Now, what Paul's going to do is he's going to use the word how two different times to explain this. First, verse 18, you know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord. Please take note of that. First and foremost, being a pipe is about serving the Lord. Those opening words of verse 19. In other words, pipe people richly benefit others, but other people are not our ultimate focus. Why? Why are they not our ultimate focus? 
because we can change how and what we deliver based upon other people's reactions, if they're the focus. In other words, if we are conduits, but we are, or we have the priority of serving people, then it becomes easy to restrict the flow or taint the flow in order to please others. Paul reminds them of what kind of a pipe he has been among them. He said, I have been among you as a conduit serving the Lord. What kind of a pipe is it? He points to his own life and says to us, there are three things I want you to notice. How I've been a conduit among you. First, verse 19, it's been with all humility. Paul didn't relate to the church at Ephesus with some kind of arrogance or pride so that an attitude came out of him of, hey, I'm the pipe person and you're the peons who need what I can deliver. Now, we don't pick up any of that. Rather, Paul's consistent attitude with all of the churches that he started and invested in was one of humility. I think 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 7 really describes it well when he wrote and said, but we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. Pipe people are humble people, realizing that they're simply conduits, passing along what Jesus has graciously given to them. But there's a second description of him being a conduit. Notice there in verse 19. Not only was there humility, notice also it was with tears. By the way, what makes you cry? What can bring tears to you? One of our kids for a number of years drifted in and out of being a prodigal. Those days are pretty much over, but if you get me talking about them even today, I'll tear up on you. <laughs> Why? Because I see her, my daughter, as incredibly valuable. I deeply love her. And I still ache with those painful seasons of wandering that she went through. <laughs> Look down at verse 31. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. See, Paul didn't keep a professional distance from the church. No, he got involved and his tears revealed how much he valued them and how much he dearly loved them. Humility, tears, that describes a pipe person. Look, at there's another one, though, verse 19, and it was with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. Having and living out a pipe theology in order to be a pipe person is not going to be easy. It's going to be painful at times. Yet this church saw in Paul his endurance. They saw his courage under pressure as he didn't let the trials stop him from being a conduit. 
Again, so how did he exemplify being a pipe person? Humility, tears, under trial. I love what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 12, 15, and he summarizes about his life. He says, I will most gladly spend and be expended for your souls. Yeah, there's a pipe person. As a pipe person, Paul poured himself into the church. Then we come to verse 20, and we hit the second how. Not only do you know how I live among you the whole time as a pipe person, verse 20, you also know how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance towards God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. See, there were things that the church in Ephesus needed to know, biblically and about the truth from God. But there were things that they needed to be taught. Again, look at verse 21. All that Paul taught, all that Paul declared, all that Paul testified was for a point and a purpose, that they would repent and walk in faith with Jesus. Which means... Paul didn't want just to inform them of the truth. He also wanted to see their lives be transformed by the truth. Pipe people deeply care that the truth of God's Word that they pass on will create change in those who listen. In fact, Paul speaks about it here later in this chapter. Look at verse 32. To the elders that were there in front of him, he says, Now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up. There's the change. And to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Now, there's one other observation I want to make here in the text that's really easy to miss. Paul's description of not shrinking there in verse 20 ends up with him speaking about his own future. If you look at verse 22 and following, he talks about, I'm going to Jerusalem. I'm not sure what's going to happen, but it's not going to be fun. Then in verse 27, he repeats again, not shrinking, but he doesn't apply it to his future. He applies it to the future of the church in Ephesus. And he says, don't shrink when things get tough for you. What's Paul doing? He's saying to them, you have seen me be a pipe person among you. Now, guys, you go and be pipe people yourselves as you face the uncertainty of the transition that's going to be in front of you. Just as I poured myself out for you, pour yourself out for others. Just as I didn't pull back my message in the face of difficulty, don't pull back either. Continue to declare the good news about what Jesus Christ has done for you and what He can do in the lives of other people. See, in asking them to remember how He lived among them and how He did not shrink back, Do you think Paul was boasting of his accomplishments? I don't think so. Rather, I think there's something else going on here. 
Look at verse 35. Paul says, In all things I have shown you that by working hard in this way we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how He Himself said, It is more blessed to give than to receive. Why did Paul choose to be a pipe person, and why does he want that for us as well? It comes as we remember how Jesus asks us to be a conduit. Isn't that that fascinating? Paul's final words to this church encourage them to remember Jesus' own words about having a pipe and not a bucket theology. It's more blessed to give than to receive. See the promise that's there? Personal and corporate divine blessing comes from being a conduit rather than being a container. And that's so counterintuitive for us as Americans. For we think that blessing from God comes from having collected a lot rather than having given a lot. Now, Jesus not only said this here in verse 35, He also modeled it for us. Mark chapter 10, verse 45, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give His life as a ransom for many. So, back up a little bit. I mean, back out uh, from the details to the bigger picture here of this passage for a moment. Even when life or the future feels uncertain, even when a church is going through a pastoral transition, our mantra should be, let her flow. Well, that was then. What about now? We have seen how the early church leaders were asked to face the uncertainty of transition. How do we face the uncertainty of transition? There will be, there has been, and in the future I can guarantee it, there always will be too, pastoral transitions at Lakewood. So what what choices are in front of us today? If you are wrestling with a bucket or a pipe theology that will turn you or make you be a bucket or a pipe person, you really have only one of three responses that are possible before you. For example, you can choose to be passive, meaning I'm just going to wait to see how it all turns out. And we do this all the time. Wait, because we're uncertain. The weather looks like it's going to rain. We'll just kind of wait and see what happens before we go out. The stock market is uncertain, so let's just, I'm going to wait a little bit before I invest. The problem is passivity can become our default reaction to transition and uncertainty. Why? Because we're fearful of making a mistake. We're fearful of wasting our resources. We're fearful of appearing foolish to other people. 
Why? We wait because we want to be sure. We wait because we want to be certain. So I don't want to put words in your mouth, but it, you can easily begin to think, well, you know, Rick's here, but he's just the interim pastor. So I'm going to wait and see how, how it goes. I want to make sure that I really like the changes that might be coming and the future direction of our church. Excuse me, but whose church is this? Our loyalty and our commitment to Lakewood flows directly out of our loyalty and our commitment to Jesus Christ. So if we become passive and decide to wait from the sidelines, not only will it hinder this church launching well when God brings pastor next to us, but it's a sad commentary that we're not choosing to walk by faith, we will only choose to walk by sight. Passivity. It's a possibility. But there's a second option, and that is instead of passivity in the face of uncertainty of transition, and that is we can choose to be predatory. In other words, what's in it for me? And boy, that's difficult for us as Americans, isn't it? Not to approach our involvement and commitment to our local church with a consumer mentality. I mean, after all, every single day we are bombed with messages from our culture to make our choices because it's all about me. So do we make our choices about engagement here based on our preferences, based on our needs? For example, do I hear the music I want to hear on Sunday morning? Is the volume okay for my ears? Does anybody notice me and speak to me when I come in the front doors? Are the chairs soft enough? Oh, I'd go to a community group, but you know what? It meets the opposite hour, and I want to worship this hour. So when we're reminded by Jesus in verse 35 that it's more blessed to give than to receive, we may agree, but practically at a street level, we're willing to let the other guy get the blessing. George Strait is no theologian, but he's right. If you come to church for a good time, you won't be here for a long time. So passivity, or a predatory response to the uncertainty of church transition is a, is a possibility, but you know what, that's not what we've seen in, in Acts chapter 20. Rather, it's that third choice we've been already acknowledging, and that is we can be a pipe. We can be a conduit that just gives. Again, the personal and corporate blessing of God is, rever is reserved for those who not only say, but live out the mantra, let her flow. Even in uncertain times of pastoral transition, pipe people understand that sharing, not storage, is the key. And here's the challenge, though, to our, our pipe theology. It is an act of faith to believe that the flow will continue. Faith believes that God will continue to supply, and we don't have to fear being cut off. It's exactly what 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 8 encourages us about. Paul says, 
And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, see, the flow is going to continue, you may abound in every good work. See, pipe people have a pipe theology. A pipe theology that depends upon the grace of God to be there and help them every day to be a conduit. They've got a pipe theology that believes God will constantly supply so that I can constantly give. Now let me be a practical help to you. This is not an edict coming down from on high, okay? So just, I'm just giving you some creative thoughts, suggestions, um, about how this could take shape in each one of us this morning. I'm going to grab four of the core church values that are on posters all over this church. They're on the back wall, on the right-hand side as you leave. You can see them. There's nine of them. I'm going to grab four of them, and let me apply a pipe theology to them, just to give you something to think about, okay? That's all we're doing, just thinking together. Let's grab the one core value called persistent growth. A transition season in the life of a church can make people get fearful. They can begin to wallow in grief because of the losses that have occurred. They can become critical because of decisions that have been made. They can choose to be passive. They can start to demand their preferences. How about instead... Asking this Lord in this very season that we're in right now, Lord, how can I help someone else grow spiritually and mature to become more like Jesus Christ? How would you want to use me? Ask him, Lord, who can I meet with? Who can I gather with and pray for them? What program options are available at Lakewood where I can get involved and invest my life into somebody else? Pipe people think like that when it comes to the core value of persistent growth. Or how about another core value, extreme hospitality? It's back there on the wall. And again, in the midst of change and transition, I don't know about you, but I, I can feel this way too. I want safety. I want security. And so it's easy for me just to kind of stay within my holy huddle of people that I already know. What about asking the Lord? If over the next 90 days, help you reach out and connect with three people you don't know. And let the connection be more than just a quick conversation here in this room or uh, out in the lobby or, or over coffee, but rather engage deeply. Take them out to lunch. Invite them into your home for dessert in other words, I'm asking you to in, enlarge your social circle to involve at least three new people in the next 90 days. See, that's pipe people thinking. How about the core value of sacrificial ministry? How about grabbing your calendar this afternoon and seeing where you are available to Get involved in our, our current ministry and commit to serving three times in the next 90 days. And then take the initiative to grab one of our ministry leaders here in the lobby, call them on the phone, get with them, whether it's Barb or Jordan or Dave or Brent, and say, I'm available on these times 
How can I help you? How can I serve you? Or the fourth one I'm grabbing is called missional living. <clears throat> Again, it's one of our core values. Missional living means we understand that every single one of us in this room has a divinely given sphere of influence, and there's a number of people inside of that. How can I, Lord, in the next 90 days, intentionally pursue one person that's in my current sphere of influence who doesn't know Jesus yet? They may be in your neighborhood. They may be where you work. They may be where you work out. They may be a server in that restaurant where you regularly go. Ask the Lord, Lord, help me identify who that person is. Lord, help me to think of creative ways that I can begin to engage into their life. And then for those of you who really want to get radical, ask the Lord, help me fall in love with them. Bill White lives in Compton, California, and he volunteered for some community service with his local church as they supported Habitat for Humanity. On his assigned Saturday, he was walking down the street towards the work site, and it was lunchtime, and those that had worked in the morning, dozens of people were flowing out of the work site, all were wearing these yellow shirts uh, as volunteers. They were doing a complete makeover of a home in that neighborhood that desperately needed it. Bill was still a few houses away from the work site when he passed a married couple that were working out in their front yard. Here's how he tells what happened next. He says, I paused to compliment the woman on her roses. And she asked me, what were we, what were we doing down the street? And I replied that we represented a group of local churches that were united in our desire to have an impact, a positive impact on our city. So we continued to chat about the radical neighborhood transformation that she had witnessed by the simple acts of kindness as one house after another was being re renovated. Now, during my conversation with the woman, her husband had been weed whacking on the other side of the front yard, and when he saw my yellow volunteer shirt, he turned off his weed whacker, put it down, and walked over. Bill says, I'll, I'll never forget his words to me. He looked into my eyes, and then he noddingly approved towards the work site that was going down the street. And then he said, I love your heart. Where can I get a heart like that? Bill said, I was flabbergasted. I really didn't know what to say. It was one of those moments where the Lord gave me what I needed to say. And I simply responded, we got our hearts from Jesus. And he would be glad to give you one like his too. This is the exciting adventure that pipe people experience. Their commitment to being a conduit opens up for them opportunities to share the life-changing message of Jesus Christ with others so they can get a heart like our Savior's. Our theology defines and directs us. May our mantra be from this day forward, 
let her flow. Let's pray. Father, you know this is a need in my own heart. <laughs> I'm not exempt. You know that being a, an interim pastor brings a lifestyle where there's a lot of uncertainty, a lot of transition. And I am like anybody else. I can become a bucket person. Father, how I pray. For myself, I pray for my brothers and sisters in this room that are beginning to mean so much to me. That even in the transition that we are facing as a church, that you would help our theology be our praxis. That we by faith would walk with you as Paul did to be conduits. Ultimately, because that's what Jesus Christ modeled and that's what Jesus Christ asked. Father, I don't know what that means for each person in this room. Comparisons can be odious, and so we don't want to compare. We just want to be available and say, Lord, I want to bring my few fish and my few loaves to you, believing that if I give that away, more will come by your grace. Father, may we as a church in this transition have that spirit among us that we're going to let it flow. And then we'll stand back and watch what happens with great joy and giving great glory to you. Oh, Father, that's our prayer this morning. And we ask it in the powerful and gracious name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.